We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. At the Sunday morning edition of the Field of 68 Best Bets podcast and Best Bets live stream, that first one, uh, I almost knocked over my microphone. Goodman's uh, Goodman's computer blew up in his face. It was it was not good. It was not good. But Jeffrey, how are you doing here on this Sunday morning? I'm good. I'm actually shocked we haven't had more issues <laughs> right uh, throughout the year. I mean, think about it. For people that don't know, this is like a a. I mean, we set up the whole network. Um, we started at the end of October, right? At the end of October, we kind of did it because you got shit canned. Uh, at the in the summer and and just kind of did this not on a whim but like kind of on a whim and then this podcast every morning was pretty much a last minute type deal and we've done it almost every day I think we missed like two days since I, missed, I didn't go I didn't go on Christmas morning and you didn't go when you you had to go on a, like a 14 hour drive in one day and so you were like no I'm bailing on this one and I guilt tripped you so badly that you haven't missed another one since. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've been good. We've been good. We've we've, we've done well, and uh, it's been fun. And and this was kind of the the first one in a while. We might have had some technical issues, maybe when I was in Charleston for a day or so. But for the most part, uh, we 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 pulled this off pretty well. So uh, yeah, yesterday to me the big uh, storyline, the number one storyline for me uh, was clearly Oklahoma State. Uh, beating the shit out of West Virginia, and they kind of did beat the shit out of them, it, it physically and, and mentally and without Kate Cunningham and Isaac Likely, which was yeah. crazy. Yeah, it really is. It was an unbelievable performance. And, you know, I want to make sure that Mike Boynton gets – you know, there's reasons to be critical of West Virginia uh, in that performance. There was There was some effort, things that they did not do very well. Um, they allowed way too many offensive rebounds. They were way too lackadaisical in transition. I am sure that Huggy Bear is going to run that out of them uh, in practice this week. Um, if he hasn't done it by now, I, I don't understand how they haven't gotten better defensively by now. And Deshaun Butler was saying this last night in the locker room with us. Like he's, I, I give Day a lot of credit. Now, again, you can do this with Huggins, right? When when your coach is Huggins, you can be a little bit more honest than some former players can be about their coaches. But Deshaun said the same thing. He's like, I'm shocked that they haven't gotten better and taken more pride in their defense. Well, yeah, it's also Deshaun Butler, too, who went from being kind of like an overlooked recruit 
yeah. uh, and a guy that played that was recruited to go to play zone and shoot threes for John Beeline that turned into an All American for Bob Huggins and took West Virginia to the Final Four. Yeah, like true, that true. dude, that that dude, like in the state of West Virginia, has I don't want to say he has as much sway as Bob Huggins, but like he's he's kind of climbing up there on the list, right? Like he's it's like, it's he's like Jerry, are, are you trying to tell me it's it's Jerry West, Bob Huggins, and Deshaun Butler? <laughs> yes, pretty much. Um, I just want to give a shout out to uh, who said uh, to eighty two Atlantic who said your new name is Good Man Bad Internet. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, that's, that's funny. That's funny. I didn't pay my bill. Um, I didn't pay no, my bill. So, so here's here's my take on on Oklahoma State, and I'm curious what you think about this. So the people that are like more analytical, analytically savvy than I am, will tell you that. Um, Oklahoma State has been one of the luckier teams in college basketball this season. And it makes sense because they've really run good in a lot of close games. Like there was the the foul call against Texas Tech and Kate Cunningham had a couple game winners. And um, if you're banking on having one guy hit a shot to win a game at the end of the game, that's normally not the best way to do it because like what? The best players have a 60% chance of hitting a game winner, you know? So um, with the the analytically savvy people will tell you is that they've they've had they've been running really good they've been running really hot and that's you know a, a dangerous way to play but what I would say is that they've actually lost like four of their seven losses have been by one possession they've won all four of their overtime games that they've been in um, but it's not like they've won every single close game that they've been in because every single game that they play is close and um, I think. I think there's a couple things that have really benefited them. One, like obviously Cade Cunningham not shying away from the moment, being able to handle that kind of pressure, and the fact that he's just so damn good uh, has really, really been big for them. But the other part of it is they've played a lot without Ice Likely, and they've played a lot without Cade Cunningham, and it's yep. forced some of these guys. Like Avery Anderson had 31 yesterday, and I know it West Virginia's awesome. defense is not great, but he got wherever he wanted, hit whatever shot he wanted, and made so yep. many plays. Um, I I don't know which boon is which, so I'm not going to try to 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 keep them straight. But one of the boons hit three threes. The other Kaelin, one had a couple of really Kaelin, big. Kalen Boone hit the threes. Kalen Boone is kind of the more inside uh, of the boons. He's the one who, who who rebounds the hell out of it. Yeah. So they uh, both of them played really well yesterday. Um, the uh, the Mon- Matthew Alexander Moncrief had a really good game. He's so, good. Yes, yeah. he's going to be really good. So it's kind of the same thing as Illinois in the sense that, yes, there are some warts on this team, but at the end of the day, they have a young roster that has only gotten better. They have one of the best closers in college basketball, and they have a coach that has just figured out a way to get his guys to play balls to the wall for 40 minutes every single night. And I give a lot of credit to Mike Boynton for that. Like He's been able to be very adaptable when it comes to kind of the stuff that they run. Like yesterday's matchup zone, just it made West Virginia look like they were a, a, a like a JV team at times offensively. Like they were they were so lost against like how many times did Miles McBride just try to throw an entry pass that got stolen? There were yeah. at least three of them, and they took away McBride. They took Sean McNeil out of any rhythm, and finding a way to do that against so many different teams that play different styles. Like he's he's been really really good against what I think that you know even in a moment of honesty that that he might say is kind of an undermanned team in terms of uh, talent and experience wise. So. He's been awesome. Cade's been awesome. Oklahoma State's been awesome. And if you can't like get into this Oklahoma State story and like buy I've been into it, I've been into it all year, uh, Rob. I've I've been higher on this team than than just about anybody from the outset. Uh, having a preseason top twenty five, having them higher than everybody in in, in the rankings. Um, 
you know, to me again, Cade's special. He's special in every way. Like the first time I remember seeing him in AAU ball, I felt that way. What um, was just kind of he has all those intangibles. Everybody follows him, and, and again, as Mike Boynton kind of we're on a text thread with him last night. Um, he first of all made fun of us for this. Um, he, he, roast, he roasted yeah. us, man. <laughs> yeah. He roasted us first because we picked against him, and somebody obviously told him. He said he watched. I, I, I hope he didn't watch, but maybe he did. Uh, maybe maybe Mike Boynton is actually big slick or something on here. We don't know. Maybe. maybe. Um, but, but ultimately, uh, the one thing you know he said was uh, Kate Cunningham is just – Instead of some guys, when they're when they're told they're passing too much, um, they they take it personally and try to shoot more and try to look for their own. He he looks at it as a badge of honor that people tell him that he is too unselfish. And I, again, I think that's what makes him special. Is he's not all about him. He has so much like confidence in himself that he doesn't need to prove to people um, what he can't do. Mm-hmm. Doesn't care. Just doesn't give a shit. Just wants to win ball games, and I, I love you. You you texted it in the text thread. Um, how K was on the sideline? That's real. That, like that's like, that's real. That's not an act. Like some guys are sitting on the sideline saying, "Oh man, my team is beating West Virginia without me in Morgantown." People are gonna think I'm overrated. He just wants to win. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's fun to watch, and it's very clear that he's entirely bought in on this season. Look, he, he's there for one year. Everybody knows it. No one's going to say otherwise, but he's entirely bought in for that one season. And again, like we've made this point before, it goes to show you like the, the importance of having relationships in this sport. Like if, if Kate Cunningham wanted to, he could have gone anywhere else in the country when their ruling came down that said that Oklahoma state wasn't going to be able to yep. play in the NCAA tournament. He stayed, he stayed there because of the relationships that he's built. Um, his brother was hired by Mike Boyton. Yes. But his brother could have been hired by any coach in the country. They picked Oklahoma State for a reason. So I will make that point over and over and over again. Uh, and so shout out to my could have gone to Texas or Texas Tech at that point when in, when the NCAA hit Oklahoma State with their with their yep. one year postseason ban. They could have still went a, as a tandem to a variety of schools and a variety of other coaches would have created a spot at that point. They would have <laughs> demoted a guy from uh, assistant coach to ops just to be able to bring in Cannon Cunningham and his brother, Kate. Yep. Yeah, it would have happened. All right, so my uh, biggest storyline from Saturday was yeah. Illinois going out and winning at Ohio State. For my money, they really? are a lock. They, they're they're basically a lock for the – They were a lock. They were already a lock. Well, no, they weren't a lock because if Ohio State wins that game, and make, Ohio State's profile is, is a lot better than you give it credit for. That would have been their third top ten win. Um, and if Ohio State wins that game and makes a run, run of the Big Ten tournament – and Illinois yep. gets knocked out early, then okay. you know there, there's a conversation that can be had. But um, Illinois now, I don't think that there's any way that it can happen, barring like Ohio State winning the Big Ten tournament and beating Illinois and Michigan in route to it. So, um, and I don't expect that to happen because of what I'm about to say now. Uh, when Iowa went down, I was expecting it to be like Adam Miller um, or Demonte Williams or the uh, the Grandison kid, like one of those two stepping yeah. up and really kind of taking things over. Um, but it wasn't, it was, it was Andre Corbello and he's been since, since I went down with his injury in the four games, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's averaged 15.8 points, 7.5 boards and 4.8 assists. He's only had four turnovers combined in the last two games. And that's significant because 
I think it takes pressure off of Io to have to be the full-time creator, right? Like there's as talented as Io is, there is a little bit of a limitation in his game when it comes to just being like if defenses are focused on him, he is a little bit right-hand dominant and he doesn't quite have a great jump shot. And if you can really load up on that side of the floor, you can limit some of the things that he does. We saw Maryland do that earlier this season. It's part of the reason why they had some struggle. Now that 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 Andre is playing the way that he's playing. I'm going to take you through a list, okay? Since 2010, there have only been two teams that didn't win the national title with two point guards. One of them was 2012 Kentucky that only had Marquise Teague, but they happened to have the top two picks in the draft, including Anthony Davis, who might have been the best college basketball player of the decade. Um, Number two on that list was Villanova in 2018, who had national player of the year Jalen Brunson at the point, and like three wings that could all kind of be classified as like, secondary playmakers, you know, Dante DiVincenzo, Mikhail Bridges, all these guys were able to play off the bounce and do stuff that like kind of a point guard could do. So I think that that one's got a little bit of an asterisk beyond that. Listen to this 2010 Duke had Nolan Smith and John Shire, 2011 UConn, Kemba Walker, Shabazz Napier, 2013 Louisville, Peyton Siva, Russ Smith, 2014 UConn, Shabazz Napier, Ryan Boatwright, 2015 Duke, Tyus Jones, Quinn Cook, 2016 Villanova, Ryan Archidiakno, Jalen Brunson, 2017 UNC, they had Joel Berry, Theo Pinson, and Nate Britt. And yes, I will qualify Theo Pinson as a point guard. He played the point in the half court in that offense. And 2019 Virginia, Kihei Clark, and Ty Jerome. Now, we got two point guards on Illinois' roster. We got a big monster. I like your train of thought here. I like it. I like it, and I think more, more people should pay attention to it. It's the first thing I look for, Rob. Before the start yep. of the season, when picking teams that, that can win a national title now, is you better have good point guard play, and you kind of need two. You kind of need two at this point to have a really good shot of winning six straight. And you know who has two? Who, who's got the best tandem of point guards in the country? It's Well, it's Baylor. Well, actually, all right, we can make an argument in all this. It is. You're right. It's Baylor. Baylor. And Gonzaga is not far behind, and Illinois got it. Like those yeah. three are clear as day, aren't they? They're the dings, baby. It's been oh, a while. I had to the ding computers. No, no, don't yell at me. I had to pick things no, up here I'm, this morning. I'm fired up. I'm fired up. Right. We haven't gotten a ding in a while. This is great. Let's go. We got a ding. So, um, but yeah, you're right. Point guards, and that's why. That's one of the reasons why with Michigan, I, I was a little bit slower to get on the bandwagon is because of that point guard play. But Dude, that's just Michigan, like Michigan State, like you look before the season and you were like, Michigan State doesn't have one. Kentucky, I thought Askew would be better. But after the first week or two, we were like, all right, Askew's not ready. Um, you know, like you, you, could, you could eliminate teams. I mean, honestly, it's pretty easy to start eliminating teams. People are now putting in the chat, dang, dang. Nice. Ding, 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 um, ding, ding. <laughs> yeah. Who, who else? Give me give me another team in the top ten. Because again, you got Baylor, you got Gonzaga, you got Illinois. Those are three. Who else has multiple point guards, like high level point guards in the top ten right now? Um, I think that you can make the argument that Alabama can play that way, although I don't think that I would put their guards in the same class as the other guards like they can they can roll two point guards out there and they do a lot of two point guard looks. not high level they're not, they're not in the same conversation yeah exactly um who i mean who no one that? really iowa doesn't really play with tucson and, and bohanna together all that no. much um no. houston maybe you can kind of make the argument but like they mostly have a bunch of like 
they're just loaded with a bunch of combo scoring guards. And so I don't know if I'd put them in that conversation. Um, Villanova without Justin Moore has like no point guards. They got another Diakono. Right, right. People got upset at me yesterday when I was like, you know, basically like throw Villanova out of the equation for Final Four. They were like, well, how can you take that away from that game? And I'm like, well, they couldn't score. And rightfully so. I mean, you took away their starting point guard, really their only point guard. And then the guy who was supposed to kind of plug in as a point guard, Justin Moore, who's not a point guard. And you took him out of the, the lineup too. Like Villanova's done. Like stick a fork in him to get to the final four, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, there was one inter- interesting shout in the chat. It was uh, from Nicholas Diorio. I hope I pronounced your name right. Texas. Texas has a couple point guards. They do. They yeah. Yeah, they do. I mean, Matt Coleman's obviously their primary and they've got a couple other guys who can make plays and aren't really true. But, like, but, it, but Andrew Jones was a lead guard coming up. Courtney Ramey was a lead guard coming up, and they've kind of adapted into a more scorers. Ball. They're more yeah, wing but, for me. But it's, probably, it's like the same thing. Like Joel Berry was a point guard that was adapted into a wing when he got to North Carolina. Like I, I will go to my grave saying that he was yeah. he was their scoring guard. He might have brought the ball up, but he was yeah. their scoring guard in the half court. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah, no, you you're right. I would just say to me. Um, Baylor, Gonzaga, Illinois are the three. Oh, yeah, it's a clear-cut top right? Um, all right, a couple things. We'll just touch on these real quick. Uh, Moses Moody is playing on a top 15 team that finished second in the SEC. He's a one-and-done lottery pick. Uh, he's averaging 17 points a game. He has 28 points in his last two games. Uh, last night, he hit the game winner as Arkansas beat Texas A&M in their SEC yeah. finale. And yeah. it feels like this dude is flying entirely under the radar. Like, how often do we have lottery picks that average 17 points a game on a top 15 team, and it feels like no one ever talks about it? Because uh, Arkansas didn't play anybody for the first two months of the year. They didn't play anybody. And, oh, by the way, he's in the SEC. Like, do you ever find yourself getting excited about an SEC basketball game nowadays? No, you can't. Uh, for, for, there, there was for a while, and then yeah. um, Tennessee broke my heart. And no, we know for you, you got excited for a I'm while. So excited. I'm so excited about Tennessee. Ridiculous reason, but now they were awesome. <laughs> look, look, they the bottom fell out, but you can't tell me as of like for for 2020 for 2020 Tennessee in this season was awesome. They did, they're not doing well in 2021. They, they need they're to like go back. To they're the only people in America that need to go back to 2020 right now. They were good for um, like two weeks. They were good. Yeah. yeah, they 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 beat the shit out when they beat Tennessee Tech 103 to 49 and St. Joe's 102 to 66. And I was all in. I, I was all in. USC State by 20. Look, yeah, you were rolling. Hey, you were rolling. Hey, rolling Goodman, when you beat games. when you beat St. Joe's and Ryan Daly by 40 points, when you give them a 40 burger, whew, yeah. that's when you know you're real. Um, another note about the SEC, I'm a little bit worried about uh, Alabama. I just feel like – I am too. Yes, I'm with you. I'm so here's, here's, my, with you. Here's, here's my concern, and tell me if you think this is fair. Um, when when all you do is shoot mid uh, – when all you do is shoot layups and shoot threes, yeah. then teams kind of know that they don't have to guard the mid-range, which means run people off of the three-point line as hard as you can. Don't worry about having to close out and stay in front. Send help to the rim and just trust that they're not going to pull up and take a 10-footer because they won't. So I think it kind of it kind of limits you in that sense uh, when when you don't allow any kind of mid-range jumper. So I think that that's been a little bit of uh, something that's been figured out. Now we'll see if, if it matters when it gets in the tournament 
because when you're an SEC play, it's a lot easier to kind of know exactly what's coming since you've seen them so much. Um, but uh, it, that is that is something that is a little bit of a concern for me. Like I, even even the NBA is kind of bringing back the mid range a little bit just because they figured out that like threes and layups leaves fifty percent of the court uh, is something that you don't have to defend. So. I also worry about Alabama because I feel like they might have been feeling themselves when when we started blowing them up. And it is a team that really, think about it, has underachieved the first, you know, last year of Avery Johnson, first year of Nate Oates, per their talent and per their, you know, what people thought they would do. Now all of a sudden they got it and you just worry. I worried about them mentally as much as anything. And obviously, yeah, they're a team that, you know, if they're making threes, they can win by 20 in the NCAA tournament and, and look like a team that can win six straight. But then the next game, they could easily go three for 22 from three and be knocked out by whoever. So Yeah, it's also very possible that they're just bored. Like they, they've had the SEC locked up for a while. They're not really yeah. playing for anything. There's only so much motivation you get out of saying, okay, we have to win this to make sure that we get a two seed instead of a three. Like there's, you know. Yeah. Yep. So I think that's part of it. They've also struggled on the road a lot more than they've struggled at home, and that might just be something that's weird about like playing in a new environment. So we'll see. There's still very reason, a lot of reasons to be bullish on uh, on Alabama, yeah. but it's 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 interesting. Um, Isaac Brown first game as a full time head coach cuts down the nets. It's awesome. Very happy for Isaac Brown. Uh, USC beat UCLA at the buzzer, the pride of West Haven, Connecticut. Taj Eady. Buried a three to give UCLA their first lead of the game um, with 1.8 seconds left. We already talked about Villanova losing to Providence. That now means, for my money, UConn is, uh, I, I would say, probably the best team in the Big East, although Creighton coming out and, and beating up on um, on, yeah. Provi- on, uh, on Butler was relevant. Did you see uh, – I, I do want to talk about this for a second. Did you see Marcus Zagorowski's quotes? Yeah, yeah I, I heard him too. I, I, I saw the video, and, and I thought he did a very good job of balancing uh what went on with greg mcdermott basically saying he was disappointed how much it hurt but the greg mcdermott's been a mentor for him uh and all those players and he'd do anything for any of those players and and i think that sums up greg mcdermott i think that sums it up you know all these people talking about him that don't know greg mcdermott well how about listening to the people that do know him and Mm -hmm. marcus segarowski knows him about as well as anybody uh jahans from our uh, Field of 68 Network knows him about as well as anybody. And these guys are saying the same thing. It was hurtful. They can't believe what came out of Greg McDermott's mouth. But ultimately, um, he's still a guy that's got their best interests at heart. And, uh, you know, I hope again, I hope Greg McDermott uh, continues to coach Creighton. And, and, and again, we'll, we'll see what happens here. I, I think it's significant that the best player on the team is coming out and said this. This is this is how he ended his statement yesterday. That's my coach. I love that dude. People make mistakes. That's yep. my guy. So yep. if he's coming out, that I, I don't know how much like more support you can come out of. And having your star player, who is African-American, coming out and saying that, uh, I think is very, very relevant. I know his last name is Zegarowski, but um, you know, that's Michael Carter Williams' half brother. Like that, that's it's significant having him come out. In support of Greg McDermott. I know his parents. Listen, I know his parents super well. They live 20 minutes from me, and, and they're super supportive as well of, of Greg McDermott. And and you know, again, everybody include I mean, everybody is obviously disappointed in what Greg McDermott said, and, and they they have every reason to be. But that doesn't define you. You know, one statement 
one word doesn't define you as a person. And I think that's where we, we, we get carried away and sometimes want to come to conclusions without knowing who the man is. And that's why you got to trust the people that actually know the person rather than listen to a bunch of blowhards on TV um, that make a determination who have never met Greg McDermott. That's all. Yeah. The, the, the only people that know the context of the way that that word was said are the people that are in that locker room that heard it. Like I, I'm sure that you're getting the same thing too. Like I have some people telling me, Oh yeah. Like this was, this was, there was no way this was a mistake. It was absolutely intentional. Like he was cursing him out. He was MFing him up and down the court and he happened to, and he said this too, like he meant it. Uh, ding. There you go. There's another one, two in one day. Um, and then I have other people being like, this is, he was, he was trying to say something else and the, the wrong word just came out in a moment of passion. It happens. I'm sure all of us have been in a, a situation where, uh, we were trying to say something and, and um, we just couldn't, we couldn't figure out what word we wanted to say. So um, I, I, maybe not all of us have, have dropped that word, but it's, it's, you know, the, I'm sure we can all empathize with that spot. The only people that truly know are the people that were in that locker room and that truly know Greg McDermott. Um, and the fact that Marcus Zagorowski, the star player came out and said, it tells me a lot about not just, what he feels and, and not just how um, that program feels, but how the kids in that locker room are currently feeling. So I thought it was significant and something that we should mention. Um, uh, the last thing I just wanted to say is like, we had, we had a, a little bit of a bloodbath for the number one seeds in the, uh, the mid-major tournaments. Belmont, oh, Belmont lost to They got run out of the gym. Um, Navy lost as the number as the top seed in the Patriot league, UMBC and Vermont, the top two seeds in the America East both lost. Wagner, the number one seed in the NEC tournament, lost. Uh, the two, three, and four seeds in the SoCon lost. And then Texas State, who won the Sun Belt. Are they the Sun Belt? Yeah, they won the Sun Belt. Um, they lost as the number one seed. So uh, I'm just kind of curious what your stance is on this. Um, I, I'm i always torn because I love the drama of conference yeah. tournament week. Yeah. Um, I, also, I also yeah. think that it's silly that there's – it's a little not maybe silly is the wrong word, but it's a little illogical to continue to send your uh, the team that is not your best team, just the team that got the hottest at the right time, not your right. best team to the NCAA tournament when you're trying to add win shares and when you're trying to put together uh, the best product possible. So, um, how, how do you feel on on stuff like this? I know it's something we talk about every year, but I'm just kind of, I don't think I've ever asked you. I've said it. I've said it for years. I just feel like again, and most coaches would agree with me. Three months of work is worth more than three days of work, right? Like, like to me, you should reward the team that did it over a three month period. Now this year is a little bit different. Thanks Rob. Appreciate that one. Um, <laughs> this year is a little bit different because it's not equitable um, overall with, with all these teams. But, you know, to me, I would rather reward a team for three months of work rather than three days. But I understand the drama that comes along generally with conference tournaments the fan support, the money that comes along with it, whether it's uh, fans, you know, filling up that that arena, whether it's the TV contract, whatever it is, I get it. I, I just, I don't love it. I understand it. I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, um, and look, championship week is is so much. I love love the small conference tournaments. I love. Um, the drama that comes with like a team playing for their chance to get in. It's just, you feel for teams like a, a Belmont who just runs over everybody in their league has an ill time sprained ankle and won't be able to play in the NCAA tournament as a result of it. So um, I get both sides. It's why I've always said 
that if we're going to expand the NCAA tournament and we're going to go to like 72 or 76 or eight or whatever, however many teams, what you have to do is you have to make it so that teams that get the, the you have two automatic bids from leagues if you have a different conference tournament champion and a different regular season champion. That's where it should be expanded. But we how do you do that? How do you do that? Then you're going to, you can manipulate it. Yeah. So what? If you want to manipulate it, manipulate it. If you want to operate with big collusion, because that doesn't happen. If you if you really think leagues are smart enough to try to find a way to make big collusion happen, then the Atlantic 10 would not have cannibalized itself, and the Mountain West would not have made Boise State play on Tuesday night, their third game in six days on the road, and they would not have made Colorado State play their fourth game in seven days on the road against the top 100 team. They, they might have cost them the, – the Mountain West – this is a whole other rant that I'm about to go on, but the Mountain West – had a chance to be a four-bid league, right? Yeah. They might have – I don't think Boise State is on the right side of the bubble now after they lost at home to Fresno. That's a horrible – that's a quad four loss. That's a horrible loss. They rescheduled that game. Colorado State, I think, is probably still on the right side of the bubble because losing at Nevada, who's a top 100 team, is not not a bad loss by any stretch. But, like, they're they're no – they're not sitting comfortable right now. They made Utah State play last night, and Utah State needed like two threes in the final minute to be able to pull away from Fresno State. So it's like those are your, those are three of your four; those are your three bubble teams. If the Mountain West was actually trying to make sure that they maximize the number of bids that their league got, then they would not have rescheduled all those games at the end. I understand that you have TV inventory, but you make a lot more money by having more teams in the NCAA tournament than you do from getting Utah State to play Fresno State at eleven o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time on CBS Sports Network. So I just I don't trust that that leagues are going to be smart enough to find a way to make the bid collusion work. That's all. That's that's my only rant. And I would agree. It's just it's kind of inequitable that way. There's got to be another way of figuring it out. That's better. It it might be. But I'll tell you what, you know what? You know what? The NCAA tournament does not need one. It does not need to be expanded. So understand that I am not not advocating for the NCAA tournament to be expanded. What I am saying is that if we do expand the tournament, then we don't need teams like Syracuse or this year's Seton Hall or this year's Minnesota or this or St. John. Like those teams, we don't need them in the NCAA tournament. Agreed. Agreed. Give me the Belmonts. Give me the give me the Wagners. Give me the teams that kicked everybody's ass in their conference and then uh, ended up losing in their conference tournament. I would much rather see them than like an eight and eight and twelve Big Ten team. That's just by me. the way. Before we get on to tonight tonight's today's slate. Um, uh, do we have to have the burial cer- ceremony or no? Do you want to do it now or do you want to wait till yeah. after the tournament? Yeah, let's do it. We you want to do, do it? it yeah, I think we do it right now. All right. All right. We're going to we're gonna have the burial ce- ceremony for the Duke Blue Devils right now. Uh, they're dead. I mean, it's over. It's over. We are, we are burying Duke right now and saying that they have no shot of making the NCAA tournament or they should have no shot of making the – now, could the committee – figure some way to justify to put them in the tournament if they beat BC and beat Louisville, Rob? I I think they have to beat – they have to get all the way to the title game. If they get to the title of the game, then it becomes a conversation. But right now, they are 11-11 overall, and they have as many quad three losses, including one to Miami, who ranks 163rd in the net. Yeah. 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 Listen, not, they don't deserve not, to be in. But but the name on the front of the, the jersey still says Duke. So I'm not completely saying that they won't get in if they make a little bit of a run here. And, and I think if they win two games, two games, 
that's enough to make it interesting to have a discussion in that room of which I'm telling you, there's going to be a couple people in that room that are like, well, if it's close, I'm going to throw Duke in because I know those ratings for the first four are, are going to be off the charts if we put Duke against some uh, some other, some mid-major. That's all yeah, I'm saying. It was, it was really frustrating uh, seeing just how much attention that that game got yesterday. I all thought right. it was – listen, now, again – I had no problem with some of the buildup because I do think it was an intriguing game because Carolina basically knocked Duke out of the NCAA tournament, right? Like, like that is intriguing. Your rival, you're, they, they hate each other so much. They can take credit now for saying, like, we made sure Duke didn't get in the NCAA tournament, and that put us in. That put us in. Carolina now breathes easy, and, and Duke has to go on some crazy run in the ACC tournament to have any shot of, of getting in the NCAA tournament. Now, could Duke win the ACC tournament? If there's a year that a team come, could come out of nowhere and win the ACC tournament, it is this year. I, I just don't – unless Matthew Hurt uh, kind of reverses what he did yesterday and is unconscious and goes for 40 uh, in every game, I don't see it happening. Well, he went for 37 against Louisville and they still lost. So, uh, yeah, I, I think – I think Duke to the NIT. Well, there's actually there's no way Duke plays in the NIT. Not after um, no, no, no shot. No Zero. Shot. Yeah. Zero. All right. So let's talk about today's slate. Uh, every line that we mentioned today is going to be courtesy of our friends over at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Remember, yep. if you use the promo code two fifty match, you will receive a two hundred and fifty dollar bonus on your first deposit. Jeffrey, what do you like? I, I I don't I don't really love anything on today's slate. I kind of think. You know, I'll look. This is a weird place to start, but I do want to start with the Missouri Valley title game. Yeah, um, that's fine. I, I that's think it's fine. interesting because Drake is a very, they have one of the more unique profiles I've seen in a while when it comes to a, a bubble team. They're 23 and three. Yeah. Uh, they have two bad losses. Their only good win is at overtime at home against Loyola. Um, they are playing without two starters who I believe you could probably say are their two, two of their best, if not their two best players. Um, and you know, if they don't win this game, like I, I think that there's a real chance that they could end up being left out if the committee is going to take into account the fact that they're missing some, some players. Now, if I'm Darian DeVries, like I'm, I'm sitting here te- texting every reporter I know, uh, yeah, these guys are expected to play in the NCAA tournament. We're expected to get them back. They're going to be healthy. They're going to play blah, 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 blah. And just pump that narrative out as much as you can for the week up until selection Sunday so that the committee thinks that they're coming back. But even if you even if they come back, how, how, how effective are, are they going to be at this point? I mean, not a broken foot. It's a broken foot. It's not a broken nose. It's not oh, a yeah. broken arm. Like a broken foot is really tough to come back from because you can't do anything. Yep. Um, all right. So loyal is laying seven and a half. They played twice this year. Drake won yeah. once in overtime. Loyola won once by 27 points on the first game of back to back. I don't, I don't know how you can't be on Loyola in this spot. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. And and likewise, can I say the same thing? We'll we'll, we'll knock out two title games in one shot here. I, I like Winthrop against Campbell in the Big South title game. It's played in Rock Hill, number one, and Winthrop has been pretty damn dominant this whole year, especially in league play. Um, They're given 11 and a half against Campbell. I I don't know. I just think Winthrop's like a really dangerous first-round matchup for anybody this year. I would not want to play him. Pat Kelsey's got a veteran team. 
he, he's got a really good point guard in Chandler Bowdrin, who is like six seven, and he's really unorthodox and terrific passer. Um, and they got some like high major type talent, you know. So I, I I think I would take both favorites in those Loyola Chicago and Winthrop, given eight and a half, given eleven and a half, uh, in in the Missouri Valley and Big South title games. So. Yeah, and they also just uh, the one thing that I would be a little bit worried about is is that many points in a title game. Um, they played Campbell twice this year. The first game they won by one. The second game they won by eighteen points. Uh, Winthrop plays at a, a really fast pace. They're top 15 nationally in, in tempo. Um, they are top 10 nationally in average possession length offensively, and they are top 10 nationally in offensive rebounding percentage, which means you're going to get second chance opportunities. Um, Campbell did finish third in the conference um, overall, so it's not like they're they're not playing a bunch of bums. Um, but I do think that uh, the ability of Winthrop to get uh, on the offensive glass against a team that ranks outside the top 290 and uh, defensive rebounding percentage makes me say, okay, yeah, let's uh, let's be on Winthrop in the spot. So I'm I'm with you there. I like I like also, both. Of 82 them. Atlantic, 82 Atlantic. Um, don't listen to what football guys have to say about college hoops. Uh, <laughs> all right, move on, move on. Um, Oregon, <laughs> I like Oregon against Oregon State in, in the the Civil War or whatever you want to call that one. I just think again, we know more often than not if you if you ride. Uh, Dana Altman's coattails here. Um, five and a half points at Oregon State. Uh, most of the time, you're gonna you're gonna be in good shape, right? I mean, Oregon covers more often than not. Uh, they haven't been great this year. They have not. They don't have a rim protector anymore without Nafali Dante. They have the same what, team. What's the line? What's the line? Five and a half. Five and a half. All right. It's tough. A road no, game. I'm- I'm going to take Oregon there. I'm going to take Oregon because I think Oregon now has to be like emphatic in their wins, like in their minds, in their minds. They're saying that right now. They're not in, in like they're probably in, but they're not in, in. And and to me, if you're Oregon too, you can go from like a nine or a 10, you're probably a 10 seed right now. to like, if you win the PAC 12 tournament, you win this game, you win the PAC 12 tournament. You can go from like, not that it matters, like a 10 to a seven. Yep. Um, there's a lot of other good games today. This this is a great slate of uh, of, of Saturday college hoops. Uh, we have Memphis at Houston. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I think I kind of like Memphis in that spot. You know, Houston is not, yeah. It's a lot, a lot of points. points. Houston is not playing for anything really. They they're oh. probably not going to be able to get a one seed. Right. Um, right. They can't win the they can't win the American Conference uh, regular season title. Um, they're like and Memphis thinks they can get in. Like Memphis, if they win this game against Houston, like they're, they're not well, they far can. off. Right. Well, it's well, yeah, there's a couple things with that. One, like if they win this game, they have a yeah. very real chance of getting into the, it's a road game against the top 10 team. A road win against oh. the top 10 team is going to carry you a long way in, in this yeah. year's uh on this year's bubble. And the other part of it is like there was a lot of drama over this this game and the schedule, like Penny Hardaway and that staff is not happy with the way that this worked out. This game was initially scheduled to be played at Memphis on this day, but they had to switch it because the way that the American built their rules is that um, they they if if the first game is canceled, right, because of a COVID pause, then you yeah. switch it and you play the second game in the location that the first game was supposed to be played. So Memphis right now, instead of playing a home game, they're now playing a road game against the top 10 team, which really changes their chances of winning. Uh, they also could not get another game scheduled. 
Houston didn't play. Like, they were off for a long time. And Memphis, instead of getting a second game against Houston, when the commissioner of the league said publicly, like, okay, I, I want to help our bubble teams, uh, he made Memphis play, I think it was like South Florida on Tuesday and couldn't didn't, didn't get another game scheduled when it was possible. And look, I understand why Houston wouldn't want to do that, but if you're the commissioner of the league and you want to help these teams get in, like that's the kind of thing that you probably should do. So um, I can tell you that the Memphis side is aggrieved. They have a point to prove. They're pissed off. Uh, I don't know if it'll actually matter. But um, I, I, I like Memphis in the points in this spot. The, the, we're taking the taking the angry about scheduling narrative, and we're uh, we're we're trying to capitalize on it. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I like I like Memphis uh, getting nine and a half there uh, for sure. Let's talk, about, let's talk about the Big Ten games, and then we can talk about Texas Baylor and probably uh, probably call it a day. So yeah. uh, why don't we why don't we start with um, with uh, Michigan at Michigan State. They just played on Thursday. Michigan ran Michigan State out of the gym. Um, it's another – it's not technically a back-to-back, but it's you're playing the same team twice in a row. Uh, how do you feel about this spot? This one is in East Lansing. It's a must-win for Michigan State. Like, it, they're they're out if they don't win this game. Well, we saw what happened to the must-win uh, with Duke. Now, again, it was at Carolina, and they had some fans there. I get it. Michigan State will have a little bit of a home court advantage there, feel a little bit better about it. But uh, unless all of a sudden Cassius Winston appears with some eligibility, I I don't see anything changing in the result. Now, again, could they keep it close? Could they, you know, could they cover? Yes. I I don't see Michigan State winning this game, which is ultimately the most important thing for the for for the Spartans. Being at four today, baby. Let's go. Um, Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I'm not doing it. Normally, I would do it. I'm I'm staying away from uh, from betting it, um, just because like in in, in these rivalry games and a must win game when you're playing at home, um, it, it's a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, but I, I don't. I, I think Michigan probably roll. Um, we have uh, we have Iowa, uh, Wisconsin. Iowa's laying seven points. Wisconsin has lost. It feels like 27 games in a row. <laughs> let me let me bring it up it's exactly. So Shout out to Hummel. Shout out to Hummel who who, who, no, who called this from the. We're not we're not shouting out Robbie Hummel. We're not shouting. We are him out. shouting him out. He was right. He's not often right on things. So when he is correct, you know things, it's, you, know give funny. you know what's funny. Um, if you if you look in the comments right now, popping up on on the YouTube channel, he had something where he said like Lamelo Ball is going to be a bust. And the 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 metal ball stands have found it, and so they've been they've been commenting on that YouTube video. Like, <laughs> look at this clown! Like, who the hell is this guy? What does he know about basketball? Have you ever played in the NBA? <laughs> like, oh. Yes, he has. It was a bad thing, but he has. Well, um, you know so what? Problem is, is, we were all clouded by Lamar. That's the problem, ultimately. You guys were. I've been I've been in on the metal ball being a star. I said if I you could figure out. I felt like it would take time in the right situation, and I wasn't sure Charlotte would be the right situation. But you know, oh, Gordon Hayward be being clear, there. To be clear, I did not think he was going to be this good this quick. No, but I, I thought he was very clearly the best prospect in last year's draft class. Yeah, uh, I would have taken him number one. Like I just uh, basketball savant. Um, last thing about uh, Wisconsin before um, we both say that we're going to take Iowa in this spot. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna read back these. So they've lost two in a row, four out of five. Um, the last time that they beat a team that wasn't one of the bottom three teams in the Big Ten was a win at Maryland on, uh, I don't even know what date that was, but it was like about eight games ago. It was in January. And 
Um, that win at Maryland is the only time that they've beaten a, a likely tournament team since they beat Louisville 85 to 48. Since then, they, they beat Nebraska, they won at Michigan State, they beat Minnesota, they beat Indiana, they won. Oh, they won at Rutgers, too. I missed that. So yeah, that's it right there. They won at Rutgers and they won at Maryland. And those are their only good wins since beating Louisville. And like that's it. That's it. Those are their good wins. Yep. No, you're right. You're right. I mean, listen, um, to me, again, Wisconsin's kind of falling off the map at this point. Falling off the map. And, uh, you know, can they win a game in the incident? Could they win two? Yeah, I guess based on matchups, maybe they could. But I don't know anybody who's got any faith in this in this Wisconsin team right now. And I don't know how you can. Yep. Um, last one of the day. Yeah. Uh, Texas Tech at Baylor. My guess is that you're going to just shove all the chips in and say, you can't give Chris Beard eight points. You can't give Chris Beard eight points. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to do, but not against Baylor. Like, I, I can't do that against Baylor, I, I, honestly. Because if, if if Baylor keeps getting back to how they were, to, to how they were prior to their pause, they could run Texas Tech right out of the gym. They could run them right out of Waco. Uh, make them walk back to, to, to Lubbock. I don't know how far that is. Uh why are you putting Gary Parrish and Lamelo as a star on there? Why? Gary Parrish. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Um, all right. So I, I'm not touching that that Texas Tech Baylor game. I don't have a good feel on it at all. Yeah, so the, uh, I'll just say this. Um, I I think that both of these defenses are going to kind of wear people down. Um, I think that we've seen Baylor be. There, that's six. We hit the over. Hit the over. <laughs> um, we've seen where Baylor struggled is with kind of the straight line drives and their legs being a little bit tired. Um, I don't think uh, that's going to be much of a factor against Texas Tech, but I will say this. Um, I do think Texas Tech and kind of their scheming and their no-build defense can limit a little bit what Baylor wants to do. You know, Baylor's had a lot of success with some of these ball screens. Jesus Christ. With some of these ball screens. Um, <laughs> It's out of control. They've had a lot of success with like ball screen offenses. I was just gonna end this pod. Like, yeah, we gotta go. I just want to make a point. They, they've had really good. Baylor's had really good success running a ball screen offense with Jonathan Campbell rolling to the rim. Um, and Texas Tech can take that away, and we're done. There's too many. There's too many things. We're wait, over. wait, wait, wait. One more thing before we end. Tomorrow we will have our second uh, guest appearance from a viewer. Tomorrow we won't say who it is until tomorrow. Uh, so make sure you tune in and. Like I said, we're going to try to do it every week, once a week. May get tough during the NCAA tournament. I'm not going to lie to you. So, uh, and Tim, I will put my phone on silent tomorrow. I promise. This one was honestly just to piss Doster off. That's all.